Okay, everybody say this week's parsha is Parsha's Mishpatim. And it's been said, and I think even Rav Hutner brings it in his Pachet Yitzchak, that the yard site of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter always falls in this week's Parsha. I don't know exactly what his yard site is, what day it is, I guess I should know, but the Welt says that it always falls the, the week of Parsha's Mishpatim. And the reason for that is because Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, uh, if you know anything about him, and we'll learn a little bit about him tonight through the eyes of Rebelli Lapian, he, um, he specialized and he focused and he, he basically made it his life's mission to, to perfect Ben Adam That's what Rabbi Yisrael Salanter is all about. That's what Musa is all about, to be able to... Uh, create a more holistic society, a, a wholesome person, a, a person who cares about other people. And Mishpatim, Parashat Mishpatim, is really talking about just such uh, issues about interpersonal relationships and uh, uh, damages and how to avoid damages and how much to pay and, and how to basically be able to live with one another in a, uh, in a wholesome way. So I found uh, two paragraphs in the Shvive Lev that Rebellia speaks about Rabbi Sal Salanter. Um, the first one he quotes from the Rabbi Avram Shulevitz, and the other one he quotes uh, from something he heard from one of the great Talmudim of Rabbi Salanter by the name of Rabbi Naftali Amstudam. So let's see what he says. Shamati Maisan Nirgash, Mipia Grashu Levitz Zal, Shunasa Maran Ar Yisrael Zeretzad of Kadesh Levacha, Legermania. Rabbi Salanta used to travel a lot for various reasons, either for health reasons or for Kira purposes. And so he once traveled together with him, this Rabbi Avram Shulevitz, to Germany. And they were staying in the city of Memel on Yom Kippur. This is a very famous story, but I think it was made famous through this, uh, through this paragraph right here. That they dove in a certain base medrash in Germany. And there was two doorways one was the regular doorway through which people would come and go. The other one was a doorway that was just reserved for, for being open to the, uh, the vineyard, the, um, the backyard, the, the garden. Its purpose was just to have air circulating, like cross-ventilation. You want to have cross-ventilation in a in a shul, so they didn't have air conditioning. Then they basically had one door that was opening for the people coming in and out, and the other door, in the, let's say, in, in the side of the shul or the back of the shul, had, a, um, had the ability to have fresh air circulating in the shul. So Rav Shulevitz, Yatsa Kaidem Tfilas Musaf, he had to go out during Tfilas Mosav, before Tfilas Mosav. When he came back in, people were already davening Shman Esrei. So what did he do? He stood by this doorway of the garden, 
this Gilespali started Davening. It's the only place that he could really find that wouldn't, uh, you know, that was available. In the middle of the Shemana Esri, on Yom Kippur, all of a sudden, Rabbi Lazar, uh, Rabbi Ram, I think it's going to be Rabbi Ram, I might be wrong, but Shulevitz heard um, his Rabbi, Rabbi Sal Salanter, whispering in his ear. And he said to him, How is it possible that you're, uh, you're stealing on Yom Kippur itself? This wasn't a, a regular door. This is a doorway that's designed so that the people in shul could breathe easier. They have a, a comfortable um, atmosphere in the shul. What are you doing? You're, you're blocking the doorway and you're stopping the air from flowing. The guys You're stealing the oxygen. The Amrlai Harash. And he, this Talmud said, he, had to, he understood by the urgency of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter telling him this in his ear. First of all, probably it means that Rabbi Yisrael Salanter himself uh, stopped his Esrei, I would imagine. I'm sure he davened quite a long Shemana Esrei himself on Yom Kippur. He stopped his Esrei. He went over to whisper in the middle of Shemana Esrei to his Talmud, to move out of the and he and he and from the tone of his voice, the Talmud understood that he had to move in the middle of a Shemana and Yom Kippur because this was how important it was to Yisrael Salanter that uh, that he not be blocking the doorway. It's something that's amazing to think about because it shows the sensitivity that we have to have towards other people, towards other people. So. You know, this is maybe a little bit of an extreme case because, um, I mean, it's not really so extreme because I could think of really like almost a parallel case that happens a lot. Sometimes, you know, you walk into a, into, you want to you wanna go out of, uh, let's say you want to go out of the base Medish. And there's that guy that decided to daven Shman Esser right by the doorway. Right, right, like over here, right by the, you want to go out, out to the thing, there's a guy, Davinik Shmanesrei, right next to that entranceway. So you're not supposed to pass by somebody when he's Davinik Shmanesrei. So that's a little bit of an insensitivity. Like, why you, why you, there's no other place in the base manager you get so, maybe you're not blocking the air because we have air conditioning or we have heat, but you have to be sensitive. Before you start Shmanesrei, you have to be able to think, like, am I going to impede other people's flow of traffic, like what, why am I more important than everyone else in yeshiva, why do I have, and it happens all the time, people always daven, you know, right in front of a door, or right by a place that people have to pass, and, uh, you know, if you're standing by your place, by your seat, and people want to pass by, that's on them, but like, you can't expect people to like, you're, you're basically causing people to, to violate halacha by standing in front of the door and davening your shmanesre. I'll give you a couple of other examples of uh, of um, things in this in this ballpark of if we want to apply this lesson of Rishal Salanter. Um, how about putting away svarim in the base medrash? The stipler has a very famous letter, and it's posted in many yeshivas. And it's one of the letters in his Kriyanadigrasa. It basically says that if you don't put away your svarim, and I think we, we're all maybe guilty of this, 
I cer- certainly am. I could probably go on my seat right now and see pure hypocrisy. But uh, um, you know, we take out svarim from the from the shelves, and and then we keep it on the on our tables, and then we don't put them back. Whether it's a masifta gemara or whether it's a chumash or whether it's a, whatever it may be, but what's going to happen? A Rambam, the next guy that's looking for that Rambam or looking for that Masifta Gemara or looking for, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to look on every shelf in the base manager and then they have to walk from table to table and it's, it's, it's a, it, the, the, the stipler says this is a Gezel Darabim. You're stealing people. You're stealing people. What, what am I stealing? You're stealing people's time. They're trying to learn. They want to know that, it, listen, if you're using it, you're using it. If you have a Maramakim and one of the Maramakim is uh, a Rambam, you take it off from the shelf, that's fine. But there are a lot of other guys that want to use it just like you do. So when you're finished, put it back on the shelf. And, and we often don't think about other people. Rabbi Sal Salanter was bringing to the world a new concept that when you're living your life, you have to think about other people. As much as we think about ourselves and what's important to us, and that's always on, on the top of our minds. We always want to do, you know, what's best for us, and that's natural, that's normal. But we also, says every Yisrael Sunday, always have to go and think about Yenim. Like, what do are, what are, what are other people need? What, are, what am I depriving other people for, from, and, and what can I do to help other people? There's a, a, one of these legends about every Salanter that an Arab Yom Kippur, speaking about Yom Kippur, the Yisrael Salanter, he used to walk through the streets of his city, and he'd have a hammer in his hand. He wasn't a carpenter, so what was he doing with a hammer? So they followed him, and he'd go into the Ezra Snashim of the shuls in the city, and whenever, you know, the, the old-fashioned benches that they had, like, it was basically put together with, you know, one block of wood and then uh, on legs, and, and you'd ha- hammer it in. So what happened to those nails? As the, as the bench gives way and as it's used, so then the nail head starts sticking up. The nail head starts sticking up. The women on Yom Kippur, this is all Rizal Slanter explained, they're, they're going to come in their finery, in their, in their dresses, and then they're going to get up to Davin Shmanesrei or move to another place, and, and the nail head is going to catch their dress. Their dress is going to tear, they're going to like not be able to concentrate on davening because they're so worried now about whether they ruined their dress or not and how much it's going to cost to fix and if they can fix it. So Rishol Sante didn't want women to go through that, so he went on Erevim Kippur when everyone else was busy with their own going to the mikvah and, and doing their, you know, whatever, all the Avayd of Erevim Kippur that I'm sure Rishol Sante could have done also. He went and he banged in all of those nail heads uh, in the Ezra Snashim in the benches of the Ezra Snashim throughout the city that he lived in. Again, what, what's Rabbi Soslanter? Rabbi Soslanter is a, a man, he's an icon, and he represents Parshish Mishpatim. This is his parasha. Whatever you're doing in life, you always have to be alert to the needs of others and to the potential harm that you may be causing others inadvertently. We're not doing it by on purpose. Nobody's trying to harm other people. We're all fine, nice, good people. But it's very often because we don't think enough. We don't like bother to take the extra step in our minds and, and, and think like, okay, what happens if I don't put back that safer? What happens if I stand by that doorway and I dive in Shmanesa? And what would happen then? Is that a problem? For most of us, it probably wouldn't be a problem. We're not, it's not on our radar. 
But Rabbi Yisrael Salanter tried to bring to the world, through the Muslim movement, the ability to think not just about yourself, but to think about others as well. Let's see another Misa that uh, he brings from Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. Ait shamati me'aganir ma'aftali amster damzatzal. Shepam hivchin, shabi Yisrael ene shaymer ala starim, shayukvuim loytamid. One time he chapped that Rabbi Yisrael Salanter was not keeping the starim that he always kept. Meaning he would come to yeshiva in the morning, let's say at uh, 7 o'clock, and then he would learn Musa, or he would, and then he would daven, and then he would do something else. And uh, he had starim, he had very specific starim. And all of a sudden, all the starim started like collapsing, like he didn't see him anymore at the normal times that he would keep the starim. It was strange to have Naftali Amsterdam. Vishal Isai Lefarish Advarim. So he asked his rabbi, Rabbi, what's going on? Why are all the starim that you made? Uh, you're not abiding by, you're not keeping them. His wife hired for her house a cleaning lady. And this cleaning lady is an almana, she's a Jewish widow. If he would wake up early in the morning, as he was accustomed to, if he would wake up, let's say, 5.30 in the morning, and he would leave the house, so the almana would have to wake up because she would have to go as the, as the maid of the house, she would have to go and lock the door inside, from the inside. And the Pasuk says that any yasam and almana, you should not be tormenting, you should not be causing any pain to a yasam and almana. Because of this, there were a lot of other things that Rabbi Slanter wasn't able to anymore do. Maybe he had to come home earlier at night, and he had to, uh, he couldn't, whatever. There was a lot of different things that got out of whack because his wife hired this almana. Listen to what Rabbi Slanter says. What are you going to tell me? After I said, but you're probably thinking, okay, well, fire her. It's not working out, so get rid of her. It's not, what are you going to do? He says, If that would be the case, if that's what I should be doing, if that's your logical uh, extension of what the, what's, what's happening here, it would turn out that it's usher to bring in an Alman and Yasim into your house because you might cause them pain. That's impossible. It would be impossible to say that the Torah would not allow a person to ever bring a Yasim and Alman into a house. Can't be possible. What does that mean? You can't you can't uh, adopt a, a, a Yasim. You can't uh, you can't hire an Almana. You can't invite an Almana for a. It, it's impossible. So it must be that. If you have an almana in your house, you have to work around her. You have to be able to make sure that she's okay, and you have to you have to readjust your seder to fit her, to fit hers. And this is uh, another of many many stories uh, that we have from Rabbi Salanter, and it's an important uh, might even be his yard site today. I'm not sure, but this is a very important uh, takeaway from the life of Rizal Salanter. I'll tell you one final story about Rizal Salanter. Uh, it's, again, it's, these are, I don't know if this is for sure from him, this is what I heard, B'Shem Rizal Salanter, that there was a, a man 
who invited him for Shabbos. Rabbi Sosan was once invited by a certain family for Shabbos. Like I said before, he used to travel a lot. So you get invited to different places on Shabbos. And this person that invited him had a, a wife and children, and he was sitting by the table Friday night, and they were singing Shalom Aleichem, and everything was going fine until like it was time to make Kiddush. And then this husband was obviously not the nicest guy in the world. And he said, he started like screaming at his wife, says, you forgot to, to cover the chalas. Forgot to, where's the challah cover? You forgot to cover the chalas. And, you know, the woman was all embarrassed. Nebuch, she had worked a whole day. She was shopping and she was schlepping and she was cooking and she was cleaning and she was doing everything. Okay, so you, she forgot the challah cover. It's not... Not unthinkable, right? And he keeps, but it didn't, he didn't stop. He kept on like needling her and the whole. So Rizal Salantu was getting very agitated by this because this is like the opposite of everything that he represented. And he said to the guy, he says, let me ask you a question. He says, why do we cover chalas? What's the, what's the reason that we cover them? Why don't you have a chalas cover? So he says, everybody knows the reason why we cover the chalas is you know, because you really could be making Kiddush on, on Chalas, but we make Kiddush on Yayin. We don't want to embarrass the Chalas by, not, by passing over it to make Kiddush on the wine. We cover the Chalas so it doesn't see because of Busha. So Rishosalante says, do you think that the Pas really is embarrassed? It does, I didn't know that Pas had nerve endings and they have a feelings, they have eyes, they have ears. They have, what does it mean? You know what it means? It means that we're supposed to learn a lesson, that we cover the chalas so that we are sensitive to not cause other people busha. Isn't it ironic, he says, that because of this minic to cover the chalas, to, which is only to teach us the lesson, so that we shouldn't embarrass somebody else, that you're using this as a weapon against your wife to embarrass her. You know how Rizal Salanter, they say, started the Musar movement. The Musar movement was something that was a very big chiddish. Uh, he said that every single uh, yeshiva should have a certain amount of time every single day, a seder and yeshiva, to learn Musar. Musar bespilus, Musar with a lot of excitement, with enthusiasm, with energy. You know, a lot of times, unfortunately, in, in yeshivas, uh, you know, Musar Seder just sort of, sort of, it just, it's just dead time. It's like, if the people do stay for it, it's not, uh, I remember when I was a Bachar, they used to joke that Musar Seder today is, is 15 minutes of silence. That's basically what Musar Seder became. But Musar Seder should really be like rocking. It should be like loud and screaming and, I once visited uh, Rav Gifter, Mordechai Gifter, he was in Eretz Yisrael for a, for a grandchild's wedding, I think it was, and I, I went to visit him. Uh, I was in Kaltaira in, in Bayit Vagan. He was staying in Bayit Vagan. And he was telling me that the, uh, the way Musser used to be in Europe, the way it used to be in Tells uh, in Europe, he says that they used to make Musser Seder around Shkia time. That's what, it wasn't like a set time, like every day. It was whenever Shkia was, like around then, that's when Musa Seder was. What's the Milo of having Musa Seder by Shkia? 
because everybody would have their own Musr Sefer. Like, let's say you'd have Musr Sisham, I have a Shari Tshuva, and you would have Archa Sadikim, and we would all be learning Musr. And Musr wasn't designed, by the way, to like be learned like a, a mile a minute. Like, you're not, it's not a chap to like finish Musr Sisharim. Supposed to savor it. Every single word is supposed to be sung and, and thought about and processed and, and, and absorbed. And so everyone would be sitting by Musr Seder, Shkia time, and the, there was still light coming in. They didn't have electricity back then. They would only have, they would light like candles, like, uh, like uh, torches or whatever it is, uh, you know, on the sides of the, of the room, lanterns, and that's how they would light up the base madrash. So if you could picture the scene, and Rav Gifter painted it so beautifully, basically, so the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of Musa Seder, you would read over again and again and again that, that line in the Musa Seder, whatever it is. And then the sun was setting outside the windows, and it was getting darker and darker. So first you just started learning it, and then it got pitch black in the base medish. And at that point, you, you knew already the line that you were uh, learning by heart because you went over it so many times. And now it was so dark in the basement, you couldn't see anyone else until they turned, they didn't turn on the light, turn, turn on the lanterns until after, you know, Moseda was over. So people were screaming on the top of their lungs, the line, and they were crying and totally uninhibited because you didn't have to be embarrassed, but no one knew who you were, where you were. It was complete darkness and it went right into you. Like the Musar Mamish entered into your bloodstream. That's how Rabbi Salslant envisioned Musr. It wasn't supposed to be just an intellectual pursuit. It was an emotional... It was, it was everything. It was supposed to really change a person. And why did he start the Musr movement? Listen to the story. There was once a guy who was... Uh, he was a shoemaker. And he was very, very poor. And what happened was that he... He struck it rich somehow. I don't know, he came up with some uh, way to uh, make many shoes at once or whatever. He invested in a factory and he, he grew it and he became like the wealthiest guy in town. So he started being like a very poor person, a, shoe, a simple cobbler, a simple shoemaker, repairing shoes and fixing shoes and making shoes and then eventually became a gavir. And he married off his, his daughter and he made a beautiful chasna, like a really spitz, like top of the line wedding with a big band and a big, and caterers and like, like for the, like the wealthiest, fanciest chasna that the town had ever seen. And it was, it was very big for him. He went from, literally from rags to riches and his daughter was getting married off. She married a very chash of a guy. As they're walking their daughter down the chuppah, down to the chuppah, so one guy, I guess he was a little bit jealous uh, of the success that this simple shoemaker had, he takes off his shoe and he lifts it up and he says to the, you know, to the father of the bride, he says, Yossi, my shoe is a little, my heel is a little worn down. How much does it cost to fix? And everyone's laughing. And this guy was embarrassed, and you know, Nebuch, like at the Al Reishim Chasa, like he had to have, he had to, he had to, some idiot had to, like, had to embarrass him, humiliate him, grab him. And Rusal Salanta happened to be at that Chasna. And he said, if that's possible for a human being to do to another human being that, if a Yid could do that, 
there's something fundamentally wrong with our society. If such an incident could ever happen, that means we need a sea change. We need to completely change the mindset and the heart set of, of Kal Yisrael. We need to learn Musr. Because, because if not for Musr, we're finished. We're just behemoths. And that was the reason why Rizal Salanter started his movement. And the mo- movement was, was very popular. It took off like wildfire. Not to say that every single yeshiva accepted it. Some yeshivas were very against it. They felt that you could get all the Musr just from learning Gemara. But Rizal Salanter felt that you couldn't. And, and today, the legacy still exists. People are still learning Musr Baruch Hashem. People are, every yeshiva in good standing has a Musr say there, whether or not people come to it or not is another story, but it's important for us to learn Musr, and just it's important to just learn about Rizal Salanter. I'll just end with one more Yisai, just one more, yisai, one more point of Rizal Salanter. A lot of times people believe that if you're a big Baal Musr, if you're a big Musrnik, uh, that means that you're probably not a big Talmud Chacham. Right, he's, he's probably busy all day learning Mesos Yisharim. He can't learn concise and Mesos Yisharim. It's not, not possible. So people don't always give like the Bali Musr, the Mashkichim, or whatever the the right. You know, sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not. So Rishal Salanter, just to give you an example of the greatness of Rishal Salanter in learning, they said that he said about himself. He says that I have the mental capacity of a hundred people of a hundred. Brilliant people. He had. He was brilliant. He says, but I also have the responsibilities of a hundred people because I have the ability, the intellect of a hundred people. That means I also have the achrayis of a hundred people. And one time he was supposed to speak, supposed to give a, a shear in a certain shul in a certain community, and he put put out the marmakaimis on the bulletin board outside, and it was like maybe I don't know twenty different marmakaimis and people that were trying to undermine him because a lot of people were against the Muslim movement, like I said before. So they basically, they, cha- they took down his Marmachimus and they put up like the most random Marmachimus. They switched it all for like, um, you know, I don't know, they, they mamash like made like, and they put Yuma, like just random Marmachimus, Rambam, Hilchas, Me'ila, and Rishel Sander walks into the shul he just takes a look at the Marmachimus. He immediately hops that somebody switched it. He looks at the sheet for like a few seconds. He goes up to the, to the shtan. There was a packed shul, and a lot of them are waiting like to see what's going to happen. And he waits for a second, and then he starts giving a brilliant sheer based on those random Marmachimus. He, he weaves the whole shas and paiskim together to give the most brilliant sheer. And they say about him that, why did he have to wait? He didn't have to wait because he had to think about it, because he hopped, the second he saw him, he was able to right away put together a share. He says, but the reason why he waited was he wasn't sure if it was Gaiva to do that or not. Maybe he should just say, listen, okay, the share is canceled. Maybe it, but he said, he decided, no, it's Kedai to do it. But just to give you an idea of the greatness of Rizal Salam, it doesn't have, just because you're a, a nice person, just because you're working on your midas does not mean that in any way it affects your lamdas. You could be a big lamdan, and you could also be a tremendous bal musr, a tremendous bal machshav, a tremendous uh, bal midas. And that was the person that Rabbi Salanter saw us all being. He envisioned a ben Taira that's 
that's a masmid, that's a tamar chacham, but that it shouldn't in any which way infringe on your ability to care about another person, to be able to be a good, hus- a good husband, a good father, a good chavrusa, a good friend. All of that is together the Adam HaShalom, the great person that Rishel Salanter was and that Rishel Salanter envisioned every Yid to be.